Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, July 13th, 2011, and this is episode 74. I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from some spot here in the Fragrant Harbor is my friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? All right, Kevin. Uh, I heard you were in the mainland over the weekend. Is that correct? Yeah, I went up to uh, Shenzhen on Saturday to uh, go back to our old the KK Mall Theater to catch a double feature uh, of Rest on Your Shoulder and Peter Chan's Wuxia. Oh, so you uh, had a nice nice day of movies. Now, um, uh, apparently, you are quite pleased with some of what you saw, right? Yeah, um, I'll be talking about Rest on Your Shoulder a little bit later, but I am very, very pleased with Peter Chan's Wuxia. Um, I've written like a thousand-word review for lovehongkongfilm.com, and I'm hoping that Ross will be uploading it next week in a site update mm, uh you can also find out i guess more about my trip on the blog the golden yeah, rock because you've been you've been blogging about that yes as, as well and twittering um been a, a twitter with uh good news and wanting to talk about the film but it's not out here in hong kong yet uh much to my disappointment and i had thought about doing what you did going up to the mainland to try and try and catch it but it's not playing with english subs you did tell, you did say that they are doing both a Mandarin um, language version and a Cantonese language version, though, right? Yeah, um, it, China has allowed uh, in Cantonese-speaking regions to show films in Cantonese because um, Cantonese is you know China's biggest minority dialect in the Chinese language, and which means there's plenty of people who speak Cantonese and would like to see films in Cantonese. Uh, especially makes sense for Wuxia because in the film, Donnie Yen and Kara Hui um, speak in Cantonese on set. Uh, so while I saw the Mandarin dubbed version, which featured Takeshi Kaneshiro speaking Sichuanese, um, I think in the Cantonese version, you get to hear Donnie and Kara Hui speaking Cantonese uh, mm-hmm. in their native language. Uh, but the thing is, I'm not sure. I was just checking a tele website to to see what version is playing here in Hong Kong, especially since both the Mandarin and the Cantonese trailers have been playing in Hong Kong. And according to tele, we will be only getting the Mandarin version. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's lame. Yeah, but you, you do get to hear, you know, Takeshi Kaneshiro was speaking C Chinese, which is kind of one of the big selling points of the film uh, in terms of Chinese speaking regions. Um, and I'm not sure if, if they'll be doing a similar thing here where they're playing both versions because I read news about Peter Chan working hard on a Cantonese version. So I'm not sure what is going on. But um, we'll know in about two weeks. That's really weird. I don't... Uh, yeah. why, why, why do you think they're doing that? Um, it's either, you know, Peter Chan couldn't finish the Cantonese dub in time, even though actually they have a Cantonese dub in, in, in Shenzhen, um, or... I'm or they had to be probably working on it to the last minute and they just sent the Mandarin version of Tella. I mean, whichever mm-hmm. happens, um, I'm hoping they, they they give the the audience a choice because 
both versions have their merits, uh, as I detailed on the blog. So it will be interesting to see if this is the first, um, I think, live action co-production, Hong Kong China co-production to get two different language versions in Hong Kong. Um, that would be interesting to see what would happen. Hmm. Um, well, I, I saw a film recently that also had uh, some language issues, and that is Mysterious Island, uh. um, in which you have characters speaking English, Cantonese, Putonghua, and Japanese um, quite regularly and to each other. So they were all quite lingual, you might say. So you'd have one character speaking Japanese, and the other character would be responding back to him in Mandarin or English or Putonghua. It was it was quite interesting, but I'll talk more about more about that. That's a film I think we're going to cover next week in episode seventy five. Um, so yeah, this is the show where we do what we talk about movies, we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood, and some other stuff in between. Um, and we've got some news this week, so why don't we get into that before we do much else? All right, we've got uh, three news stories to talk about this week. This first news story I stumbled across a couple days ago uh, on MSN Entertainment. It is there via uh, a site called The Wrap, and that is Arnold Schwarzenegger is getting back to work. Um, if you've been following along with some of the scandal and his sort of post-residency as governor, he's, uh, you know, he's had a lot of problems in his personal life, and all of his work was put on hold until further notice, and that notice has been given. It says here in the article from um, Joshua L. Weinstein that Arnold Schwarzenegger is ready to get back to work. He'll be back. In Lionsgate's action thriller, The Last Stand. Uh, the article goes on to say The Last Stand is about a small-town sheriff and his inexperienced staff who are all that stand between a drug cartel leader and freedom across the border in Mexico. So kind of sounds like... Standard fare for an Arnold movie. Um, but the difference here is that this film is being directed by uh, Kim Ji-Woon of films like Yay. The Uninvited and uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, right? Uh, Kim Ji-Woon did not do the... Un he, no, he did the original. He did The Tale of Two Sisters. Hmm. Uh, also The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Uh, last year, he did I Saw the Devil. Um, he is a bittersweet, also a, bitter, a Bittersweet Life, the film noir. He is my favorite style over substance director in Korea. He has made, uh, he also made The Foul King starring Song Kang-ho. So here, every film he does, he, he tests a different style. And he is, and I am absolutely excited about any new Kim Ji-woon film. Uh, even though I'm not sure if Arno, Arno uh, can really do uh, a small town sheriff. I mean, what part of Arno looks like a small town sheriff to you, Paul? Well, I mean, he is, he, he's not the Arnold that we remember from the 90s. I mean, if you've seen him lately, he's still fit, but he's definitely aging. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of got, I don't know, he's kind of got this, uh, you know, older guy look. I mean, I could see him as an older sheriff, sort of in a, well, what was that famous movie about the, uh, the tough as balls sheriff? Walking Tall, I think uh, it was Ah, The called. Rock. Yeah. Well, that was the remake, um, but then that was based on an original film from, I want to say, the 60s or the 70s, um, and I could see Arnold doing a role like that. Now, in this in this kind of a setting where, you know, you're dealing with drug cartels and freedom across the border and Mexico, um, it's ripe for a lot of, you know, the stereotypes and the kinds of things we got in Arnold movies 
back when he was doing them in, in the 80s and the 90s. And I'm thinking back to things like Commando and Raw Deal and those types of things. So I'm hoping that the director here can bring uh, some interesting stylistic choices to it and, and create something sort of out of the typical Arnold stereotypes that we might expect for this film. Like I said, I think Kim Ji-woon is one of the most interesting directors, even more interesting than Park Chan-wook, I think, because he is always testing different genres. And his, if you saw, I saw The Devil, the way he shot those action scenes, which is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really violent film. But if you look at the way that I saw The Devil was shot, it's absolutely beautiful to watch at points. Um, I definitely look forward to to um, seeing how he takes on the uh, the American, which looks, I guess, is kind of like a return to the Western in a way, or uh, Arnold crime film. So it would be fantastic to see for those two to come together and see what, you know, they bring to the table here. Yeah. The real question is, will he have the classic Arnold line in it? You know, will, oh, I hope he will has he, will, he, will he have Arnold saying, I'll be back <laughs> at some point? Um, we haven't heard that for a long time, people. Uh, I don't know if that would go over well with the new younger audience who doesn't know Arnold so well, right? But certainly for us old timers, it would be a bit of nostalgia. The border is closed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. A second second news story that we have this week. Uh, Spike Lee, uh, American film director Spike Lee, has been confirmed as the director of the U.S. remake of the cult South Korean film Old Boy. Uh, this article coming from Patrick Frader over at Film Biz Asia. Uh, the article goes on to say um, Mark Protosevich, Protosevich, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, who's the, the writer for Thor and I Am Legend, is adapting the screenplay and will co-produce. And Roy Lee and Doug Davidson, who worked on both The Departed and The Grudge, uh, will produce. So you've got a team here that's worked on adaptations from Asia before. I, I'm not the biggest fan of these types of things, as I've mentioned. I, I, I much prefer the originals, usually, than, than the adaptations. I still, to this day, will, you know, I know that people love Leo and they love uh, Marky Mark and they love Jack Nicholson, but I still, to this day, will argue um, until my bones are in the ground that the original Infernal Affairs is a much superior film to The Departed. Um, the article does say that for a long time, Steven Spielberg had been considering directing a version with Will Smith as a potential lead, um, but both eventually gave up on the project. So I don't know. What do you think about this, Kevin? I'm not a big fan of uh, the old boy film, uh, but I have a friend who absolutely loves it. It's his favorite film of all time. This is definitely a film that is, you know, uh, it's up there for a lot of Asian film fans. Mm. And I think that it's probably, you know, if you do a remake, you've got some pretty big, uh, you've got some pretty big expectations on your shoulders, right? Mm. Well, I would say that, first of all, Spike Lee is a much more interesting and probably suitable choice than Steven Spielberg. I mean, when I heard the, the Spielberg rumor a couple of years ago, I kind of just went, you know, I went, what? What? Really? And Will Smith? What? Will Smith and Choi Ming-shik not look, do not look alike at all. And, and it would have been a completely wrong film, and I knew it was never going to get made. And now Spike Lee has been confirmed. I think he'll bring some interesting stuff to the table. Um... I'm not. They haven't mentioned anything about casting yet, um, and the scriptwriter doesn't really give me much 
Hope. He last wrote, I think, Poseidon, and he came with a story for Thor. He did I Am Legend. He hasn't really done anything that's you know that would jump out at me and yeah. that would tell me that you know, oh boy, he can do oh boy. Um, but then again, you know, oh boy has always been more um, a visual film more than uh, a script kind of film. So um, it would be interesting to see what Spike Lee brings to the project. Uh, yes, one last thing I should point out is I'm not sure why even Patrick Frader wrote that oh boy is a cult film. Um, oh boy was actually a huge commercial success in Korea is also won it won the grand jury prize at Cannes Film Festival so I'm not really sure about the and it's been a big video sale video you know popular video item in, in both UK and the US so I'm not but really it, sure it, why it, oh, I mean oh. I, I kind of understand his his thinking I mean in the way that I consider it I consider it to have you've got people who absolutely love the film mm-hmm. and then you've got people who it just you know it's not mainstream it, it doesn't work for them mm-hmm. uh it, you know it, it's got certain sensibilities that just don't um you know they, they just don't appeal to the to the standard mainstream audience mm. so i i can kind of see him assigning it that that category mm-hmm. um you know when i again i speak about my friend um who we've had on the show here before william chan mm-hmm. uh, i think it was in episode two well that takes us back <laughs> um but yeah he it's he loves that film he loves the director and mm-hmm. uh he speaks about that film with such reverence that it's like you know how in talking about films it's like how some people talk about things like star wars or they talk mm-hmm. about rocky horror you know it's that sort of cult-like devotion to the film and to the you know things that come from that director afterwards mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i absolutely agree with you when you talk about you know the the elements that wouldn't fit into a certain mainstream audience which is why i was always a little i always had some doubts about whether this project would make it to hollywood but now you know spike lee is not really a mainstream filmmaker i mean inside man was probably the most mainstream of his films um and the other stuff weren't really they're not really big commercial successes he's much more respected as a as a as a critically than 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 commercially so it would be interesting to see what Spike Lee, a more edgy director who is more suitable for this project. Um, now it feels more real. It uh, feels more like it's happening. So we'll see what happens from here. Because Spike Lee is still working on... He just started production on his latest film, um, which he will bring back his old uh, character from Do the Right Thing. And I'm not, I'm not sure how long he'll take on that film. So who knows when production will start on this one. Maybe he'll blend the two films. And he'll <laughs> call it Do the Old Boy Thing. Right. <laughs> so there's racial tensions and and yeah, yeah. In, inside the prison I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right our final story this week uh sequels being made kevin you want to tell us about it yeah of uh, the lion roars the joe ma comedy that starred lewis Koo and cecilia chern and fan bing bing uh finally gets a sequel the film is very popular in mainland china and now with the amount of money they have in mainland China and Cecilia Chen making a big comeback this year. It's about time they get into a sequel. Um, the film, the film's production has been kind of um, overshadowed by the recent spat or, you know, whatever is going on between Nicholas A and, and Cecilia Chen. But production is going ahead uh, with uh, Cecilia Chen returning uh, as in a new role, I think. Um, wait, actually, no. I think it seems like she'll be playing the same role. Um, but Louis Ku will be replaced by Xiaoshen Yang, who is a very popular younger comedian in in China. He was also in My Name is Nobody, 
with his mentor, and he was also co-starring in Zhang Yimou's A Simple Noodle Story. Uh, what do you think, Paul? I mean, I, I don't remember liking The Lion Roars 1 at all. Uh, so now you have this this mainland pandering sequel. Uh, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I liked it well enough. Um, the original. It, you know, it's an old film back in 2002. So it's, right. it's kind of weird that he's bringing this back now. Um, it, again, it's not going to have Louis Koo there. As I look at the... You know, the people on the poster here over at the Film Biz Asia page, uh, not a lot of familiar faces from, you know, from the original. I, I'm I'm trying to remember. I think, um, I want to say Chung Tat Meng was the emperor in that. Maybe I'm confusing that with um, uh, last year's films. But, yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a weird, weird choice. I mean, I guess... I guess he figures the film, the original, the name is successful enough that they can cash in on it. Um, you've got Cecilia Chung. Her name's all over the news right now, so uh, there's that little aspect of it. But I, I don't know. No Louis Koo? Eh, less than interesting for me because he was the more interesting character mm-hmm. of, you know, of the relationship because he was sort of this you know, military strategist, but he was a henpecked husband basically mm. so yeah well i think the, the movie came at a time when my sassy girl was like the big thing at the time and there was yeah. kind of a response a chinese response to my sassy girl yeah um it's interesting you talk about how 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 many years it's been since the first film because if i remember correctly someone i can't say who or i can't remember who told me uh someone who knows what's going on here is that lewis could actually turn down the script because joe mai has been trying to get this film off the ground for years because how of how popular the first film was hmm. and that actually um lewis could turn down the script and then he wouldn't he refused to do it because of the script so um it just kind of tells me that's even more ominous for me knowing that at least Cecilia Chen did it part yeah. because she she gets a large and, and this is a guy still doing wong jing movies right <laughs> <laughs> exactly when when Louis <laughs> Koo is turning down your script, God. yeah. So. I guess Joe Ma just, just doesn't get the favors that Wang Jing could get, you know, because he Wang Jing has helped a lot of people, and Joe Ma, uh, who has he helped? I think what Ekin? Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Joe Ma asked Ekin to be in this film. I wish he did. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I've got an extra copy of uh, of the original Lion Roars still shrink wrapped, and maybe I'll. Uh... Maybe I'll give that out when this movie is released as a prize or something. Yay. Uh, so. Yay. Yay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, the excitement just rolls off the tongue. Hey. 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 All right. So we've got a couple films to talk about this week. Up first for East Screen, we've got the latest Chrissy Chow feature. Woohoo. Beach Spike. So, Kevin, do you want to tell us about Beach Spike? Yeah, sure. Okay, Beach <laughs> Spike is the second uh, production of T-Films, which um, is run by so-called quote-unquote Hong Kong film expert Mr. Bay Logan. Um, this is, um, how do I say I'm not sure where I'm talking about. Okay, there's a sports comedy, quote-unquote comedy again, starring Chrissy Chow uh, and Teresa Fu as two young, attractive uh, islanders 
uh, who likes to spend their days hanging out at the beach and playing beach volleyball. I'm not sure what they do for a living. Oh, yeah, they, they, they run the uh, coastal restaurant when they have spare time, and it seems like a nice, relaxing life until the rich people invade. Um, the, the beach, while the beach is for the public, the, um, there's a private property against up the hill uh, that's owned by a rich family, um, led by Mrs. Brewer, who is played by Candace Yu, and, and her two, and her two um, arrogant daughters, played by model Jessica C. and Phoenix Valen. And we, uh, we would call them uh, third culture kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that... They just speak a lot of English. Is, yeah. that, is there like a... Okay. Yeah, they're like... They speak English, and they're supposedly mixed or something, uh, even though uh, Himlaw plays like the youngest child... And he's like completely Chinese, and he speaks like terrible English. But anyway, um, they they're they they're working with property developers, and apparently the latest project involves the government, the evil Hong Kong government, wanting to take over the beach to to let them build their latest property. So that raises the the um, the attention of the local the local villagers, and apparently to decide whether the property developers will move in and take over the beach. They decide to play a game of beach volleyball. Yes, the entire stick, the stick of, of this beach where families make make their living and, and, and kids do their partying and and all that other good stuff in the summer. Apparently it hangs on a beach volleyball game. Yeah, this uh, is just so easy, right? I mean, I wish the next time I wanted to think about, you know, talk sit down, talk with my wife, and you know, we we've been renters up to now because we just can't afford to even think about you know getting a place here in hong mm-hmm. kong but wouldn't it be so nice we just go to the to the property agency and we say you know what my wife and i will play you a game of basketball <laughs> and if we win you know we get the, we get the multi-million dollar property what do you say isn't that great it, it even worked for 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 um uh, political debates. I mean, look at long hair. He could walk up to to Donald Zung and go, "Hey, you know, for that for that electoral electoral reform, help us just play a game of cards. Yeah, ping pong I'll match. Play you poker. Go yeah, play you, I'll play you poker, or I'll play you ping pong. And then if I beat you, Donald, in ping pong, we get the, yeah. we get away. Screw we China. Don't, we don't need universal suffrage. Yeah, we 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 just need decision by sport proxy. <laughs> if 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 I win the ping pong game, I we get universal suffrage. Ha! <laughs> but you know we'll never win because you know how good Chinese players are at ping pong, and you know the communists will just send down anyway. Okay, um, so that's how it is. Um, that's how it's done. And to train, uh, even though Sharon and Rachel, who is a Chrissy and and Teresa Fu characters, they are already quite good at beach volleyball. Apparently, they still have a couple of things to learn because Jessica C and Phoenix Phelan are like. Master, master volleyball players. So they recruit the help of the restaurant owner, played by um, Monk Law, as he is credited in For, the film. Formerly known as... Meng Lo. Yeah. Yes. And his wife, played by Sharon Yang. And they learn some Kung Fu, and, and there's some romance along the way with, with the... Uh, like a Ju- Romeo and Juliet scale romance with him, Law, playing the youngest son of the Brewer family. Um, and all that good stuff. This is, this is a film that is done... As I pointed out to Shelley when we were watching the film, this is like an RTHK teen drama. Um, for those of you who, who didn't who didn't know or who don't know about uh, RTHK teen drama, is that they're just you know these weekly half hour 
um, dramas, quote unquote dramas. It's the equivalent of an after school special. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Charlene, Charlene Choice to be in these things before she became twins. And it's still kind of being done once in a while. But anyway, that's pretty much what it is. Um, and on that note, it fails essentially on every single level. Uh, Production-wise, they can't even afford lighting, apparently. Um, writing, the, the, the writing is uninspired. It's lame. The story is, is lame. And it sometimes makes no sense. Directing... Um, the, the, the film was directed by Little Gobi's director, Tony Tang, who can't even make a, a CGI volleyball look convincing. Uh, yes, all the volleyball scenes, almost all the volleyball scenes feature a CGI volleyball. So this is even worse than Shaolin Soccer, which was actually made 10 years ago. So imagine how bad it is. Um, which they also copy at one point. I think so. Yeah, the, 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 the scene where the, the, it was like a coffee cup was on the table oh yeah and the boom, it, it started yeah, doing the boom yeah. boom thing and and the vibration uh, in in the, the coffee wall. and they were hitting the yeah. wall and it was just really lame it was lame the special effects are lame every single thing in this film does not well can only be explained with the word lame um even we say this this film cannot possibly take place in a real world it, it takes place on a fictional island which is apparently gigantic or gigantic or enormous it, is, it was gigantic and enormous in the same word because you see yeah it was a very strange setting even when we say it's a teen fable um none of it still really makes sense because you know you got these kids who are like i want to live here for the rest of my life but you don't know what they do for a living except play beach volleyball and they're not even they're, they're not even really like betting real money um as for the actors, because, uh, you know, we watch, you're not watching Beach Spike for the production value. You're watching it to see Chrissy in bikini uh, playing getting hit by balls in the face. Oh, sorry, volleyballs in the face. Um, and in that, on that note, she's okay. She, she does wear a bikini a lot. Um, but she's practically Meryl Streep when she's standing next to Jessica C. Because Jessica C, who is a model, and she's in her first acting role, to be fair, um, she's just... A terrible actress. First and uh, last. I hope the yeah, I hope there's a first and last role where she, it, it, her eyes is always wandering as if she's looking at a, for a cue card, and and she does that. Um, you know how the 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 um, I hate to use racist jokes, but you know, no, you didn't thing. You know how people like <laughs> shake their necks like side to side. Yeah, she's doing that with Cantonese, which is really weird. And uh, Teresa Fu, former 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 Cookies member, it's almost too good to be in this film she is the most i think she was the most experienced actress of the four uh phoenix valen uh jessica c teresa well, it kind of it, it kind of depends i mean it, she hasn't as far as i know teresa hasn't had any leading role vehicles right she's yeah always, she's always she been most, supporting uh, but she's had quite a lot of supporting yeah, she's stuff. had the most acting experience and she is compared to these people she is so good that she shouldn't even be in this movie Almost. Um, the mildly a positive thing that you can say about Beach Spike is that it doesn't really aim for much. So at least, you know, it's not pretentious. It is what it is. And even if it fails at it, it's only, you know, what it tries to be, which is a mild teen drama, teen comedy drama. Um, there is plenty to be amused about. I was I, I tweeted last week that this film was made for the dynasty because uh, it is a very amusing film, even though you're not supposed to be amused by what you're amused by. For example, I like to introduce Him Law, language extraordinaire, uh, who, <laughs> who speaks apparently three languages in the film and only one of them well. So uh, we went, we had a, a Spanish speaking person in our movie group, 
And when when him law broke out his his super Spanish, he literally my my our Spanish friend or Portuguese friend literally stood up, outraged, wondering what is going on. <laughs> um, well, I don't think he was expecting to go see a, a Hong Kong movie supposed to be in Cantonese and hearing people speak broken Spanish, right? Yeah, exactly. And him laws in this family where everyone speaks like fluent English, except he he's like he's going, you know. But sister, where are you going? You know that like <laughs> it's like he's the adopted kid who went to Chinese school while everyone else could afford, you know, fancy fancy yeah, he, international. He, school. he got left behind. Yeah, he was the kid left behind. <laughs> I think, and he no, was raised by the nannies and and whatnot. So yeah, and no one ever made sense of why he spoke such terrible English. Um, and this that's especially unexcusable considering the film is is produced by a by you know English speaker. Um, it. And I hate the fact that just because it's a sports movie, it's a Chinese sports movie, it must have Kung Fu. Uh, I think Mr. Logan has his hand in this. Mr. Logan is a big fan of Kung Fu cinema. And I guess he dictated that any Chinese sports movie must have Kung Fu in it. So thanks, Bay Logan. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for teaching me how to make a Chinese sports movie. Um, so for my final verdict, I would say flee it. Um, don't even, even if you want to see, you know, these people, these cute young model type girls you know wearing bikini on a beach volleyball movie don't even bother doing any going beyond the tv level and i would say tv only if you were channel surfing on cable and it was like a lazy sunday afternoon there's nothing to watch and you just happen upon this movie and don't even watch it from beginning to end just you know channel surf and then watch it from the middle or something and you know maybe it will be worth watching paul yeah. i hand it over to you well, uh, what would they call that in volleyball terms? A, a, a handoff, a pass, a what? I don't know, a, a setup. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let me try and see if I can spike this down. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> okay? It, it, it's as simple as that. It's a terrible movie. Um, there is fun to be had with, as Kevin mentioned, the balls in the face. In the face! In the face! Because um, basically there's a, just a ton of slow-mo here. Uh yeah. There, there's more slow-mo here than, seriously, than an episode of the Time Warp program that's on <laughs> Discovery. Um, and they do a lot of it. I mean, falling on the sand, jumping up in the air to hit the ball. I mean, it's just all over the place. I think, I mentioned this after we watched the movie, if they would actually have played all the slow-mo footage at normal speed, I think this movie would have been about an hour long. Funny enough, that also applies to most Zack Snyder movies. Yeah, there you go. Um, so just a ton of slow-mo. And the, I mean, the interesting thing is because is the girls, um, Teresa and, and Chrissy's characters are being punished at one point by, by their opponents. And they're just taking these balls in super slow motion to the face. And <laughs> I, I got to give them some credit that they were really getting hit in the face in those scenes. Um, there are other scenes, the wide shots where the game is being played, where it's just a CG ball that is done really, really poorly. They didn't even take the time to teach the girls to play some actual volleyball, which was just really lame. It was really sloppy. Um, it's just, it, it's a crutch that filmmakers are relying too much on CG and it looked bad. Um, but they were doing these shots um, to the face and, and sometimes to the arms where you see the girls really getting hit. And I'm surprised that a the you know the manager of at least Chrissy let her do that you know because her face as as a as a model has been what she's banked on for all mm -hmm. these years so i guess they used a softer ball or something that um you know maybe it wasn't a, a regulation volleyball that they were using but 
I was kind of surprised that that uh, they went along with that. I don't think they would have been able to do that in uh, in the states. I think it would have too much insurance and and stuff like that going on. But that part I thought I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, him Law as Tim, which we had great fun <laughs> with because our, our friend Tim Youngs was with, was with us, so he got he was the butt of many a joke uh, <laughs> during the screening. Um, but yeah, he looks nothing like dear old dad. Uh, who you get to see a little bit later in the film. We won't spoil that, though. Um, but this is the, just the Choi Le Foot plot all over again. Um, and Choi Le Foot was at least fun. It, it, this had a couple decent... Decent is, is, is generous uh, fight scenes in it. Um, Monk Law really kind of stole the show. Um, but this was nowhere near the level of at least Choi Le Foot in terms of being you know funny and entertaining... And that wasn't a great movie. I mean, that was an okay movie. But it's the same plot. Yeah, we're going to decide a multi-million dollar deal uh, on a tournament. And a somewhat non-regulation, kind of unofficial tournament as it is. So just really hard to believe. Um, hard to stomach. The, the, no budget for the lighting, as Kevin mentioned. That, that got really irritating. You've got a lot of sh- shots that looked like they were uh, day-for-night scenes. And then you've just got a lot of shots that are just in the dark where they're trying to do these fancy camera moves. They're trying to move from inside a building to outside, and they just don't have the budget to compensate for the lighting in doing that. So it looked really bad from a cinematic standpoint. Um, But what can you say? There were lots of kids in the Dynasty when we watched it that night. Um, A lot more than usual, which means that, I mean, kids were going out to see Chrissy. I think, um, you know, she's made her fame as as a, a Leng Mo, a pseudo model here in Hong Kong. And I've constantly asked the question, you know, when will she have done enough professional jobs to no longer have that title? And there are lots of girls that want to follow in her footsteps. We've got the book fair coming up, and that's sort of where they try and make their break. And, you know, I, I guess they see her as a role model. And so, you know, there were a lot of kids out there watching the movie the night that we saw it. Mm. Um, but if you want to see volleyball, I've got to send you back to 1994 with the Hong Kong movie Victory, um, about a girls school volleyball team. They play real volleyball. There's no CG. Um, it's a decent story. It's, 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 again, it's a standard sports movie. Um, but you know, so it's sort of a, sort of a, you know, the, the, the misfits coming together to, to become good players kind of a thing. Nothing you probably haven't seen before, but it's much better than this if you want to see a movie about uh, girls playing volleyball. And that, too, is based, I believe, on an earlier film from Japan, which I think is called uh, V is the Sign for Victory. Um, but it's that's also uh, quite a good film. So, yeah, this one, you got to flee it. Um, unless you can see it somehow for free, it's really not worth uh, spending any dollars on it as we did all right kevin you're going to tell us a little bit about your trip to shenzhen yes um well the the actual trip has been covered on the blog so i would say go read it there but i am going to talk about the uh wuxia review will be up soon and we'll talk about it on the podcast when it comes out here in hong kong but i would like to talk about uh rest on your shoulder um this is a film that i covered i think a week or two about ago about its trouble production feel feud um the film is directed by jacob chern a hong kong filmmaker who 
directed uh, Cage Man and and a film that you might know more, which is A Battle of Wits starring Andy Lau. And also uh, Ticket, I think, from 2007. This is a very ambitious um, fantasy film, um, but it also has a very troubled history. It was shot in late 2009. And um, I mentioned earlier that when it played in the Shanghai Film Festival this year, um, Jacob Chen reportedly skipped on promotion because his distributor was planning on cutting the film by 30 minutes um, for the theatrical release. But the distributor later changed their minds and allowed this 122-minute cut to be in theaters. Um, but there is plenty of prestige. It's a very special effects-heavy film. Uh, it has, um, of course, you have Jacob Chern, who's a respected director. You have a pretty respectful, respected, uh, a pretty good cast. Uh, Alois Chan, Gigi Lun, Guilin May, uh, um, even Zhang Yian. Uh, these are all, you know, fairly well-known actors. Um, they also had a score by Joe Hisaishi. Um, better known for his work on the Studio Ghibli films, a very, very respected uh, composer. However, the film is a little too ambitious for its own good. Uh, the story, uh, going to the story, it takes place in a near future on a place called Moon Island, which is a fictional place. Uh, in this future world, apparently there are so many germs in the world that in the city, the city is all covered by dark clouds and everyone's wearing um, face masks and, and germs is really the big, the new uh, pollution uh, for, for the world. Uh, but this place, Moon Island, is still relatively untouched. It's a very beautiful place. It's nature and everything. Um, the film starts with Yang Guo, played by Alice Chan, who is a plant researcher who is trying to cultivate this very rare plant. Uh, he was about to marry his girlfriend, Bao Bao, when um, the rare plant sets off an allergic reaction that could kill him. So Bao Bao, to save him, decides to go after the flower. But when that fails, a fairy shows up, played by director Jacob Chen in a CGI cameo, um, makes her a deal that he'll save his uh, Yang Guo's life if Bao Bao becomes a butterfly for three years. Uh, so that she could stay by his side, but then he can never know that you know she's turned into a butterfly. Are you sure this so is an she... actual movie, and you weren't like on an LSD trip or something? No, no, this is for real. <laughs> this is for real. Yeah, yeah. Wait till like wait till wait till you hear what happens later. So okay, so so she Bao Bao takes a deal, turns into a butterfly, a talking butterfly, by the way. Um, Yang Guo wakes up, and and there's romance because um, now that Bao Bao is out of the picture, his his high school high school aged neighbor, played by Gui Lun Mei, <laughs> um, it's now going after him. There's a romance there, and then later, uh, Gigi Lun also shows up as a reporter trying to cover cover what's going on on the island and a possible plague breaking out and also falls in love with Yang Guo. And then it becomes an ecological drama. Yes, this movie is not only a talking animal fantasy, it also has three romances and an ecolog ecological drama all rolled into one. The romance is okay. Um, you have Gui Lun Mei doing the unrequited romance thing. This is something that she's very familiar with uh, in, her, in, her, in her filmography. And she's a little old to be playing a high schooler, but it's, it's gooey. So let's face it, you know, if you like gooey, you're going to love her in this movie. Um, Gigi Lun is kind of boring. She plays like the most powerful reporter ever uh, who can talk down Chinese officials just by saying, I'm going to cover all this. Don't worry. Um, it's a very strange character. And, but then the problem is that all these characters are very boring. They don't really have much character traits. They're just really nice people. And 
some of them do things that make no sense. For example, when Bao Bao in the beginning of the film goes back for the rare flower, she decides to walk through the river in the water, even though there's like a bridge right behind her. Um, and yeah, this is something that many Nezans have brought out. It's just a really str- from that moment on, I knew the movie was in trouble. Um, the fantasy portions, which really does include talking insects, talking CGI insects flying all over the place and talking to each other. And there's this whole thing about the animals not liking the insects, not liking other insects that touch human beings because of, of germs and stuff like that. Wait, wasn't that in Bug Me Not? Yes, exactly. But Bug Me Not is just really annoying because it's so hyperactive. Here, it's just really boring because it needed a much more imaginative director. Jacob Chan is much more well-known as a dramatic director. So the fantasy stuff here is just kind of boring. Um, I think he could have used the co-director for these scenes. So now he has made the most boring talking insect movie ever. Um, and then by the time the ecological theme stuff comes up, it kind of drowns in its own self-importance. And the problem is that it kind of just goes away and then everything is resolved. And it's a very strange movie. It's a very ambitious film. I'll give it that. Because um, not many Chinese films would go all the way and to touch these many touch on these many themes with this kind of production value but it really does collapse under its own, its own weight and I'm sorry to director Jacob Chern the movie really is too long <laughs> 122 minutes it's a really a trek it's too long for the kids because that's you know they would love the CGI bug stuff but the movie is too dry it's too slow he's defended the 122 minute uh, uh, length but I still say it's too long. The film would be much better if they cut out romance or two and then just kept things tighter um, and kept it around 100 minutes. It would be a better film. Not that it would be right now in its current form. It could be a much any better film. Um, if you have a chance to see it, I guess it's interesting to see what Jacob Chun does here and has really pretty stars. And it does try to do different things, you know, uh, a rare kind of look at future. There's a whole thing with a coffee machine that kind of comes out of nowhere that should have been cut. But anyway, it's there. Um, so for those these little bits of stuff that is interesting, I would say it's a movie that's okay to TV it. But um, otherwise, if me talking to you about this movie kind of seems really too weird and doesn't sound like it could be a cup of tea, cup, uh, could be a cup of tea, I would say go over your instinct and skip it. So unfortunately, you know, this is one of those examples where the director wins the fight that he want to that he want to win but then the audience end up losing so it's kind of unfortunate what happens what's happened to rest on your shoulder mm. uh what any thoughts on the soundtrack because i'm a huge huge fan of joe hisashi oh you know, joe hisashi's score is fine i think one of the reasons that that jacob Chern wouldn't cut the film shorter is because he said the the score was done with the 122 minute cut um, the score doesn't save the film, but it's a nice, nice addition. Um, if you're looking for it, if you, if you, if it sounds kind of interesting to you, Paul, the film is handled by Hong Kong's Echo Films. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up at the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival later in the year, because mm. it does have Gigi Learn and Guilin May and Alois Chan. So you know the cast is, is is good enough to I think earn a theatrical release, if not video. There. All right. All right. Let me throw this in. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more.
All right, it is time to talk about our West Screen film for this week. That is the latest Jim Carrey feature, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Try and say that three times fast without blowing up my mic. <laughs> um, this is directed by Mark Waters, who has worked on um, so, some more recent films, uh, both as producer and director. Uh, most notably, I think the last thing I saw of him was uh, 500 Days of Summer, in which he was the producer. He's also done Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, uh, The Spiderwick Chronicles, uh, Mean Girls, and Freaky Friday. I, I think this probably has, this film has a little bit in common with uh, Freaky Friday more than uh, any of the other stuff he's done, um, in that it is a, sort of a family-oriented film. You have Jim Carrey here starring as the main character, uh, Thomas Tom Popper. Uh, also joining is uh, Carla Gugino, I think as I'm saying it, as, mm -hmm. as his uh, ex-wife, Amanda Popper, and uh, Madeline Carroll as Janie Popper, and Maxwell Perry Cotton as Billy Popper, his two children, and Angela Lansbury in a cameo Ooh. here as uh, Selma Van Gundy. So this film is based on a very famous uh, book uh, written back in 1938 by Richard and Florence uh, Atwater, and, you know, with the Atwater book, and then you've got uh, Mark Waters is directing a lot of people with water in their name uh, involved in that. So I don't know if there's a little bit of feng shui or some kind of uh, name magic or, or numerology or something at work there um, that these people with water in their name all ended up working on this. But I found it a little bit weird. Uh, but anyway, the film is about the main character, Tom Popper, whose father was never around when he was a child. He was always always off exploring, uh, a little bit of an academic, a little bit of sort of an uh, adventurer. Um, so he's never at home, and he's always communicating with his son over a wireless radio um, over the years. And as such, he's not really a strong influence on his son's life directly. Um, and so as an adult, uh, Tom Popper Jr., uh, receives a package one day from his father who has passed away. And when he comes to open that package, he finds what he thinks is a frozen penguin. But in fact, the penguin is not frozen. It is, in fact, alive. And this living penguin is soon joined by four other penguins who soon, living in the high uh, New York estate building in which he lives, start to disrupt his life. Um, thrown into this mix are his ex-wife and his two children who don't really have a very strong connection to their father because he's much more focused on business and his work life than he is on his family life. So that's sort of the, the, the basic plot structure in a nutshell. You can kind of figure out where it goes from there. You, you get a sense of it from the trailer. Um, it's sort of an updated plot from the book. I think in the, the book, it involves 10 penguins in total. And the, the character gets one penguin, and then he gets another one from the zoo, zoo, and then they have babies, and he ends up with uh, 10. So it's slightly different. It's updated. It's modernized. Jim Carrey here, I think, is in his element. He's doing what he does best. Um, lots of sort of over-the-top reactions. Uh I, th I found him thoroughly enjoyable in the role. I was really glad to see Angela Lansbury back doing something again. Uh, I used to love Murder, She Wrote uh, back in the day. Um, my wife fully enjoyed this. She's got a thing for penguins, though, so this was sort of a must-see for us. But, you know, I was kind of thinking, if I had kids, I would have a great time watching this with them. I mean, because I, I got into it. I enjoyed the story. 
I found it very, very interesting in that it's sort of a modernization of a fairy tale ending with, you know, now it's like the you've got the, the, the families that are divorced and it's working them to try and get back together. You know, I won't spoil it and say exactly what happens here, but, you know, um, that's that's kind of the new thing. You know, it's mm. like the, gone are the days of the, the wicked stepmother and, and those kinds of things. I mean, the, I, I sort of got the same vibe going back to an earlier film, um, the Tim Allen film, The Santa Claus, you know, where mm. it, you know, it's this single dad separated from his his mom or, or separated from his wife. You know, she's got her own life and the dad's got his own life and he, he's sort of having relationship problems with his son. But then by the end, there's this, you know, sort of happy family resolution, um, you know, to some extent. And, and, and that's, I just find that, that very interesting for the times that we live in, that that's now sort of the happy ending where the family is back together or, or all getting along together um, in sort of a, in, you know, not necessarily a nuclear family as it, as it were, um, but sort of a rejoined family. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I would say it's, for me, it's a see it. If you like these kinds of family movies, I found the humor funny. Uh, I found the story quite engaging wasn't sure what I was going to be expecting in terms of, you know, are they going to be using real penguins or CG pen penguins? They kind of used a pretty unique mix. There were a couple shots where you could tell it was a different penguin in some cases, but for the most of most of it, um, you know, each of the penguins had their own personalities and they kind of brought that out. Uh, and I really, really liked it. So I'd say for me, uh, it was definitely a see it, especially if you like lighthearted comedies or you have kids, because I think the kids would really really get into this uh kevin what did you think about it yeah i agree that the kids really like it um i've never read the book i've heard that it was it was part of the curriculum in early elementary school which was when i was not in the states so i never had the chance to read it um i disagree with you about jim carrey though i think they should have gotten a more straight comedy actor i think maybe ben stiller or i'm not sure someone who is not as over the top with facial expressions because it seemed like Jim Carrey was trying to fight for the spotlight with the penguins and when you have a movie of CGI penguins you do not win you will not win and Jim Carrey really fought a little too hard to to take over here um he was but otherwise you know he's I always like Jim Carrey he's always good even though he's getting a little old um it's a cute family film it's mildly competent I I can't say it didn't it really struck a huge reaction to me uh Either way, either positive nor negative, um, I was entertained by it. Even though the toilet humor is a little embarrassing, uh, especially when you have the pooping stuff with the penguins. Uh, but it amused many. Um, I was at the premiere, the local premiere of the film with Michael Wong in attendance, which is something I'm proud about. Um, and I'm sure he laughed very hard in the back. Um, the like you were you were talking about the interest the divorce family dynamics. I think it's very interesting the way that you know you have these these you know broken families now, and it's about um, bringing back the divorced parents together, which may give off kind of too much fantasy for kids of these families. Um, it touches on very heavy issues. You know, you have the the negligent dad, and you know Jim Carrey doing the same, and how he never really grieves his father, how he he holds in his grief. But the problem is that you know you you have this very much a fantasy tale with penguins mixed with these very heavy themes, and 
then you know, the heavy th- themes feel like filler for a very thin plot. Uh, I'm never going to be able to accept the fact that you have a movie of penguins sliding down to Guggenheim as well as neglected children and divorced families and things like that. I'm not sure if those two things gelled very well together. But nevertheless, um, it's very hard to hate a movie of dancing penguins. Um, and they're very cute. And I did enjoy myself for those 90 minutes, so I'm not going to hate on it too much. Like you said, it's a very light comedy. It's a very lighthearted comedy. It's very much see it if you have kids in tow. Uh, I promise it will be better than Hop. Uh, otherwise, it'd be just it's a good date. TV thing to watch on TV, something to kill the time with. It's perfectly relaxing, perfectly lighthearted. It's not going to do much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I wonder if people will experience this movie based on different experiences. Mm. You know, because I myself come from a, a, a family. Uh, my, my parents divorced when I was very young, and and both ended up remarried. And mm. I've been very fortunate in that. You know, both of my you know. Uh, extensions of my family have have you know worked out and gotten along well over the years and and sort of I've been lucky in in having that sort of family coming togetherness mm. uh, at, at at a certain point in my life so I can I can relate a lot more to a film like this or or, or to the family dynamic say in in the Santa Claus or in some of the other movies that are starting to use this now and I'm wondering if if people from a normal family maybe won't get that same sense and maybe that's why i like this a little bit more i think maybe so i'm not sure it just felt like they were trying to hand, you know especially with this and uh the natalie port movie we saw a couple of weeks ago uh and things like that it seems like you know now divorce is it's almost like the modern family yeah uh that's what it is it's modern family and to me it's more interesting i guess not coming from a divorced family feels like um an interesting spotlight a social spotlight more than you know something that i can really relate to but nevertheless it is a very interesting trend uh for family movies uh i'm not sure how many other family movies include this uh hop had like uh un- indifferent parents uh what else uh it also had single family the rabbits the yeah. Easter rabbit yeah. i think single family um can you, can you remember anything else uh well even if just go with it the end of sander movie you have a single yeah. parent yeah um any anything else come to mind? Um, well, you mentioned the Natalie Portman one that was uh, mm-hmm. recent. Um, I can't really think of of anything. I mean, I'm I'm I, I can't think of anything offhand right now. You, for me, this film, as I said, um, the the vibe that I got was very much along the lines of the Santa Claus because it, mm-hmm. again, this is geared for slightly younger audiences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem to be that that's a more recurrent trend, um, yeah. in, in family depictions and things. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the more interesting things about, you know, current, if not distant, current family films in general. Yeah. Except maybe the tree of life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't seen yet. So we, we, we I want to see it. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. Okay. Um, cause I, I do need to get out and, and watch that. All right, let me throw in this. East Green, West Green. All right, comments. We got a couple comments from our last episode. Uh, Gary Lau writes in, he says, talking about the Stan Lee article we talked about last week, I believe the Japanese manga series that involves Stan Lee's input is titled Ultimo, 
uh, which is published in English by Viz Communications, and is Stanley's cartoon? And, and then he asks, "Is Stanley's cartoon with Arnold Schwarzenegger still in the works? Well, is that the Governor?" Um, I think I heard something about that, but I don't the, follow. The trailer was on YouTube for the Governor. I didn't know Stanley was involved with that, but if he was, as far as I understand, that's been shelved. So if it's the one where everybody was like forwarding the YouTube commercial of of you know, Ar it's basically Arnold retiring from office and becoming this superhero called the Governor, who rides <laughs> around on a motorcycle, fighting crime with these kid sidekicks. Um, uh, the, the trailer was really, really funny. But as soon as the scandal thing broke from from everything that I read, that got canned really quickly. Mm. So if that's the same one, as far as I know, it's been uh, it's been pushed, put on hold, indefinite hold. Mm. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe once Arnold comes out with uh, the last stand and if he starts doing well in movies again they'll bring that thing back uh matt s writes in talking about some of the things we talked about for last week with uh digital film releases he says i truly i doubt that truly global digital film releases will happen anytime soon for blockbusters anyway there are just too many interested parties and too many issues to resolve uh netflix which i wish i had but i don't Netflix. Um, oh, Movix. Movix, Paul. Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. What is yeah. that called? Movix? I got to write that. Movix. Yes. www.movix. Movix.com.hk or does Yes, sir. Com? .com .hk. Uh, I've got to check that out. Um, yeah, he says Netflix is being forced to hold mm -hmm. new releases back a month in order to give DVDs a chance to sell. I think that's kind of the same on iTunes. Um, that their rentals are like held back for a while to let the titles sort of uh, gestate and sell uh, full-on purchases first. Uh, and they just lost 250 Sony films over a licensing squabble. If anything, I could see things sliding backwards for a while. Uh, you're probably right. I hate when that kind of stuff happens. Um, still, I just kind of wish we, you know, I, I wish I had a time machine. I could just jump forward in hot time, like a decade <laughs> or something. Um <laughs> Anyway, it says, I'm a huge fan of the first Conan movie. We talked a little bit about Conan last time. He says, I must have rented it 50 times back when VHS movies were uh, $80 special order. Oh, I remember those days. Hmm. Um, and read the books and Marvel's uh, Bloody Savage sort of Conan mag as a kid, but I don't have high hopes for the new movie. He says, I can't put my finger on exactly on why exactly. Maybe it's just the fact that he's not Arnold. But I also prefer the practical effects of the original to the CG I've seen so far. The giant mechanical snake in the one that was in Arnold's movie was actually there, even if it didn't do much. It had a presence that the creature in the trailer seems to lack. Um, and so that's a good point. That's one of the, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about in Beach Spike. You know, the girls were playing volleyball and the ball doesn't have a presence. Hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't look like it's, it's working according to physics. And this is a problem that a lot of CG monsters end up having. Um, but... Yeah, it, it could be a stinker, um, and I do understand a lot of people still hold the Conan movie with Arnold in very high regard. For me, I, I, I mean, I loved that movie. I saw it multiple times. I've got it on DVD somewhere. Um, the second one was terrible, although um, at the time I had a crush on the actress Olivia Diabo, who was the co-star in the second one. Um, but the second one was just terrible. And then the, what was the spinoff? Red Sonja. Um, with uh, Bridget Nielsen, and Arnold was in that, but he wasn't Conan. He was somebody else because I think it was because of licensing or something. Uh, but the first one was great. I watched it 
must have been dozens of times. Um, and I, I, for me, I, I liked it. I just felt that it never really captured the, the look of the Conan world, at least according to the artwork and things that I've seen. So if the one thing that's the one thing I, I mentioned last time that the new movie has me kind of excited for, I still I mean I love Jason Momoa I think he was great in Game of Thrones I loved him in Stargate Atlantis, I don't know if he'll be a good Conan, uh, mm. the, for me the jury's still out but what I've seen in terms of the art direction has me excited, uh, that could all be blown away by terrible performances and by bad CG and all the stuff that you know Matt's worried about here so time will tell we'll just have to. Uh, wait and see all right well that's it that's a another episode mm -hmm. we're, we're we're on the cusp of uh 75 isn't that like a diamond anniversary or something it, oh but but that's years paul i mean this oh. is a weekly <laughs> <laughs> we just it do it feels like years what am i doing what are you doing here um so yeah i'm sorry that time <laughs> with me is so tough <laughs> It's like dog ears with you, man. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry that you, I wasn't good enough. Oh <laughs> uh, well, next time, um, let's see. Next time we will be talking about show seventy-five, uh, Mysterious Island, and of course, at long last, Muggles unite, Wizards beware, um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Really, I just thought you meant Zookeeper. I was looking forward to that one. Are we getting that even? Um, we'll get it somehow. CGI yeah. animals. Everyone <laughs> loves that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll be talking about Mysterious Island and Harry Potter. And, uh, I've actually seen a bunch of stuff on video, so I might be, I might bring, uh, do an extended video segment next time. Uh, what did I, I watched recently? Paul? Uh, oh yeah, the, the, I, I've down my rental queue. Yeah, the, um, fix. the, uh, alien movie with, uh, the boys from Britain, um, you know, the guys from uh, Hot Fuzz and uh, Shaun of the Dead and stuff. Um, yeah, I've been waiting to see that. It didn't come here for whatever reason. The DVD came out, and I said, ah, I got to get it. It's got my name on it, right? <laughs> um, but they didn't let me have it for free, unfortunately. Um, also, I'm in the middle of right now watching Robot from in Hindi uh, from India. This is a, Some of you might have seen this. This is the crazy Matrix-style science fiction from Bollywood that there are a lot of... <laughs> clips on uh, certain scenes of it from youtube and i sat down to watch it before recording tonight and i was like yeah i'll watch that and then i'll go do some show notes and and we'll do the do the podcast right this thing is like two hours and 50 minutes long and i'm not even halfway through it because i was planning on it to be like a 90 minute movie <laughs> and you know it's like I'm, I'm just now at the third or maybe it's the third or the fourth bollywood number i'm thinking this is a science fiction movie with a robot, and they're doing Bollywood dancing. What's going on? Dude, um, you should know, Bollywood movies, hour and a half, it's like their first act. Yeah. There no, are I, no I, short I, I think movies. I've kind of figured it out, because it yeah. seems like every 30 minutes is when they bring in and, and do a big Bollywood uh, song and dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, they're like chapter markers, right? And But the songs, in, it's like the first song in this movie... And I'll have to talk about it next week. But the first song was had nothing to do with anything going on in the movie. It's just <laughs> suddenly they're out in the desert. The guy's got a guitar and he's singing and the girl's dancing. And I'm like, what the heck? And there's no subtitles for the songs. So I have <laughs> no idea what they're singing about. It's just why, they were suddenly in the city and now they're in the desert. Is this a dream sequence? You know, what's going on? Uh, a couple of the songs kind of make sense. There, there's one really good song where 
it's like going on in the robot's brain, which is kind of cool. And you got all the dancers kind of dressed up uh, as robots. And Ashuara Rai is just hot looking as this uh, in this sort of science fiction outfit. But the rest of it's just like weird. They they're in like Peru at one point. I'm like, why what, what are they, why are they dancing in Peru? They're you know it's ah oh, it's just it's just different. But um it's fun. You watch it's, it's you fun. watch awesome Bollywood sequence. I will watch the bang. Yeah, you've the bang. I, that's that's yes. on my desk. You've loaned it to me, and that that yes. will be the next one I watch if I can get through this three hour long thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so that's what that's what I've been doing, and I hope to talk more about some of those videos that we've been watching. Uh, next time, maybe you can talk about Debang too. If we, we'll do like a little bit of a Bollywood uh, thing. Uh, a little extra note: I did the Debang dance at Ross's wedding. FYI, we'll talk about that next. Is week. there a video of that? <laughs> oh God, hope not. There might, there might be. Yeah. I don't know who has it. If there's, I, I if there's video, I'll put this music to it. No! No! <laughs> no! Oh, the humanity! Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that'll be next time. Mysterious Island and Harry Potter and maybe some other stuff. So, um, again, if you'd like to follow along at the website, uh, it's www.concast.com. You can go over there and leave us some comments, and we might talk about some of that on here on the show. Or you can stop by iTunes. We would love to have some reviews over at iTunes, um, positive or negative. You know, We'd be very happy if you give us a five-star review, but if you've got other things you want to say, things you'd like to see improved about the show, we're very receptive to any feedback you might have. You can follow along at uh, Twitter, if you have the Twitter thing, uh, twitter.com slash concast, or twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, that's one word, to follow Mr. Ma and what he's doing. And you can email us directly at eastscreen at gmail.com, and if you'd like to, you can send along an short audio file, and we could play that here on the show as well. Um... We're not really officially on the Google Plus presence-wise yet. Uh, we're both on as individuals, but the show itself is is not there. I'm going to decide, uh, do we want to put the show there or not, maybe later. Um, but we'll make any mention of that here if we decide to do that. Final thoughts, Mr. Ma? Um, want to throw out a uh, shout-out to my own blog. Uh, no, plug plug my blog, The Golden Rock. Um, it's at lovehkfilm slash blog slash The Golden Rock. Yeah, you've been um, doing a lot of writing lately. Yes, sir. I am reviving the blog, and I am trying to do these entries every other day or every other two days. Uh, in fact, I'm going to write an entry after we record. Um, every story now, there's a narrower focus now, mainly Hong Kong and China, and there's a focus story each each entry, and I hope to... As my new header says, we don't do news fast, we do it right. So hopefully um, it will catch on. And if you guys like what I do here on the show, then you know I suggest you go read the blog. Yes. All right. And any uh, any reviews over at uh, the YP site? Uh, this week I am not. Last week I reviewed uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Next week I'll be doing Kung Fu Panda 2, but uh, I won't be doing Harry Potter this week. So yeah, ypmovies.com.hk, English. All right. So until next time, uh, we will wish you, as always, good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time, everybody. Uh-huh.